Help me to have a clear mind. Help me, Lord, to be able to uh, say the things that you would have me to say tonight. Lord, help me to be able to teach as you would have me to teach, Lord, as we study this text tonight. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would come upon me, Lord, that you would help me. And, Lord, that you would just be with every individual here as we look at this text, that it might uh, challenge them, that it might help them tonight. We love you, Lord, in your precious name I pray. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Matthew chapter 15, and it's been a few weeks uh, since, a couple weeks since we've been in the book of Matthew. If you remember last time we were in Matthew, a couple weeks ago, we uh, did the first part of Matthew 15. If you remember, we did the first 20 verses, we talked about the traditions of man, and we learned a lesson there. Uh, Tonight, we're going to deal with the rest of Matthew 15, and next week, we'll uh, start on Matthew chapter 16. And, you know, tonight, the, the, the idea is not very complicated. In fact, the entire lesson can be uh, kind of summed up into one uh, phrase. And I'll, I'll give you the phrase, and the, it might not make sense to you, but once we get done going through the text, maybe it'll make a little more sense. But you, uh, the, the lesson tonight is kind of this. With God, less is more, and more is less. With God, less is more, and more is less. Now you may be thinking, well, Pastor, what, what does that mean? Uh, look, look, look down at the passage. Look at verse 21. And let me begin by kind of explaining what I mean by less is more. Matthew 15, verse 21. The Bible says, Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan. Now, this is a Gentile woman, obviously, for, uh, uh, Canaanite. Came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying... Now notice, this Gentile woman, this Canaanite woman, notice what she cries. She says, Have mercy on me, O Lord... Thou son of David. Remember on Sunday night we were talking about the branch that would come from Jesse. The branch that would come from David. She was referring back to the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that He is the Christ. The Messiah. The one that the prophets that Abraham had been promised about. The prophets had prophesied about. So even though she's a Gentile. She is understanding the prophecies given to Abraham and to David. And about the Christ. And she says, have on me. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Thou son of David. Now notice what she says. Here's her her petition. Here's her prayer request. Just like we took prayer request tonight. She goes to the Lord and she gives a prayer request. She says, my daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. Verse 23. But he answered her, not a word. She puts in her request. She says, Lord, my daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. She says, have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. And Jesus does not answer her. And, and when you first read the, the story, it almost seems like Jesus is kind of being rude. And, uh, you know, well, notice what it says, verse 23. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she cried after him. Now, you, you got to understand, everything that Jesus did was calculated. And Jesus is going to use this woman to make a point and to teach a lesson. So he purposely does not answer her, verse 24. But he answered and said... I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now we've been talking a lot about the Jews lately. We dealt with the Jews a couple Sunday nights, a couple Sunday mornings ago. We dealt with the subject of the Jews, and then last Sunday night we dealt with the subject of the Jews in the book of Isaiah. So I really don't have any desire to talk about the Jews again. But let me just explain this verse real quickly, uh, just so you understand the context. Jesus said, "I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of Israel." You need to understand the transition of the rejection of Israel and 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 the promise going to the Gentiles was not yet completed. They they you're kind of, we're kind of in this passage. In the book of Matthew, we're kind of in that transition where God is kind of giving Israel that last chance. They're going to 
put, you know, they're going to reject him for sure. Uh, you know, at the end of the Gospels, when, when he comes into Jerusalem, they reject him as the Messiah, and then they crucify him three days later, and, and you know, then he's going to go ahead and say, go ye into all the world, preach the Gospel to every creature. But at this point, that whole transition had not completely gone through. Either way, the ministry of Christ was primarily to the Jews. He went to Israel and he preached in Israel. Jesus did not really preach outside of the nation of Israel. I mean, he traveled a little bit outside of the nation, but he wasn't like Paul going off into the world. Uh, and you got to understand this is, because people like to take this verse and say, see, it's all about the Jews. It's all about the Jews. you got to understand, Jesus is not exactly giving them a compliment. Okay, I mean, notice what he says. He says, I'm not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He's saying, Israel is lost, and that's why I'm here to try to preach the gospel to them. So, just so you kind of understand a little bit of that context, but here's what I want you to see. Verse 25, and this isn't really the point, but I, but I want you to see this as, as we move through the text. Verse 25, Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. And we have a kind of a picture here of prayer. And you know, oftentimes, you and I will uh, go to God in prayer. It's something serious. I mean, here, her daughter, the, the Bible says she's asking for her daughter who is grievously vexed with the devil. And, and she's going to the Lord Jesus Christ on behalf of her daughter. And she puts in her prayer request. And she gets, you know, it's the equivalent would be of you and I getting alone with God on our knees, maybe at home, or putting a prayer request here, and we're asking God to answer our prayer, and then oftentimes, God responds in this way, He answered not a word. And usually what we do, when God answers that way, is we get upset. Or we say, God's not listening to me. Or God doesn't care about me. But notice how she responded. She's, he, he didn't answer anything. Then he says, I'm not set up unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And her response, verse 25, was this. Then came she and... Here's the first thing she did. She worshipped him. And here's how she worshipped him. She worshipped him saying, Lord, help me. So, you know, what do you do when you ask God for something and the answer is no? What do you do when you ask God to heal your child and the answer is quiet and the answer is nothing and you feel like God's not listening and you don't get a response? You know, the first thing you ought to do is worship God. You know, that worship in the fact that she realized that He's in control, He is God, He's the one we've been looking for, He's the Son of David. She realized that she, He knows what He's doing, He's in control. She didn't get upset, she didn't say, ah, I knew you wouldn't help me. She continued to worship Him, number one, and then number two, and, and, and number two is this, she asks again. Lord, help me. She asked one more time. Now keep your finger there in Matthew 15. And go to Matthew 26 just real quickly. Matthew 26. Let me show you this in the life of Jesus Christ Himself. We have an example of Jesus asking for a prayer request Himself to God the Father. In Matthew 26, 39, if you remember before He was to go to the cross. Matthew 26 and verse 39, the Bible says... And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father. Now notice the request. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Now Jesus is asking, if it's possible, God, I'd like to not go to the cross. I'd like to not die. Because you got to understand, Jesus was 100% God, but at the same time, he was 100% man. And as a man in his flesh, he did not necessarily want to be crucified. But notice his response. He says, nevertheless... Not as I will, but as Thou wilt. And you got to understand that whenever we come to God in prayer, we must come with that attitude of, Lord, let Thy will be done. 
Not my will, but thy will. And this is how that woman, she came, she said, Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But when he answered not a word, her response to that was she worshipped him anyway. She was okay with it anyway. She understood that God was controlling See, we, we got to understand this. When, when, the di- when the cancer diagnosis comes... Pray for healing. And pray for God that He will take it away. And pray for God that He will have mercy on you. But when the answer is seemingly no, worship anyway. Be content anyway. Love anyway. Say, Lord, not my will, but Thy will be done anyway. Look at verse 40, Matthew 23, 40. And He cometh unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What, could you, what, could you not watch with me an hour? Watch and pray, that ye enter not into temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 42. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, notice his attitude. Thy will be done. He says, I don't want to do it. I don't want to go through it. I'm going to ask you to take it from me. But if you will not take it from me, he says, hey, let your will be done. And that ought to be our attitude. And, we, and, and you know, it, you, you, you teach this and you preach this, and I'm still amazed at the amount of Christians, you know, supposedly mature Christians that they, they go through something and they come to me and they say, I don't understand why this is happening to me. And I'm thinking to myself, you ever read the book of Job? <laughs> I mean, you ever read the Lord Jesus Christ? We must understand that God, simply because we ask God for something, He is not committed to having to answer every one of our requests. In our time frame. And you may not understand that He, you know, Jesus said, I don't want to go to the cross. God, if there's any way to get me out of this. But see, God had a bigger plan, picture in mind that required Jesus going to the cross. To bring salvation to the rest of the world. And sometimes you ask for something. And sometimes I ask for something. And sometimes we ask for a health issue. Or we ask for a financial issue. Or we ask for a relationship issue. And and, and we think, well, surely God is going to answer this prayer. And He doesn't. Hey, just worship God anyway and be content anyway. Because you cannot see the big picture the way that God is working through that. The Bible says all things work together for good. But you know, when you put in a request to God... And the answer is seemingly no, or it seems like you're not getting an answer. What you should do is ask again. Notice what Jesus did. Look at verse 44. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. So he says, he says, God, take this cup away from me. He comes back the second time. He says, if you won't take it away from me, let thy will be done. So he's seemingly okay with it. But then he comes back a third time and he asks again, saying, hey, do you, you mind taking it away from me? And see, the Bible kind of teaches this concept. Go to Luke chapter number 11. And I'm not preaching on prayer, but I just kind of want you to see this because it's a beautiful picture of prayer that we see here with this woman in Matthew chapter 15. But look at Luke, just real quickly, Luke chapter 11. Luke uh, gives us two illustrations of this. And here's the point that I'm trying to make. It doesn't hurt to ask again. In fact, sometimes God will not answer a prayer and will kind of hold back and and He may want to answer your petition, but He might make you wait. And I believe that sometimes He does that just because sometimes the only times He hears from us is when we're going through something. When life is good, when finances are fine, when the kids are fine, when marriage is good, when everything's happy, you know, we seem to forget God. But when we have a request, when we have a problem, when we have a petition, we seem to remember, oh, I better get on my knees and pray to God. And I believe that sometimes He may not answer just because He wants to hear you ask again. Look, are you there in Luke chapter 11? Look at verse 5. 
Luke chapter 11 and verse 5, the Bible says, And He said unto them, and you got to understand, He's teaching on the subject of prayer. Okay, this, this little story He's going to tell, this parable has to do with prayer. And He said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise to give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his, make note of this word, importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. The story is this, a man comes to his friend at midnight, he had a friend kind of show up unexpectedly, so he goes up and wakes up his friend and says, hey, can I get some food for my friend that came to me? Now notice, the Bible says that he will not rise and give him because he is his friend. He's not going to get out of bed and help him because he's a friend. Yet, because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. That word importunity means making a repeated request to the point of annoyance. This friend was asking his neighbor for some food. And the neighbor maybe yelled out from the window. He said, hey, I'm in bed. I'm asleep. Go away. (laughs) And he said, I'm not leaving. I'm going to keep knocking. I don't got anywhere to go. Walmart's closed. The grocery store's closed. Can you please help me? And because of his importunity, because of his repeated request to the point of annoyance, the guy he said, I'll give you bread if you'll just leave me alone. I'll, just give, you, I'll give it to you. Not because we're friends, just because I want you to go away. That's what the lesson is. Go to Luke chapter 18. Look at verse 1. Let me, show, let me show you another parable giving the same idea. Luke chapter 18. Look at verse 1. Well, and I'm sorry, you, you turned out of there, but let me read for you verse 9, Jesus of Luke 11. Jesus ended that story by saying this, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. So he gives us a story about this friend who's repeatedly coming to his neighbor, asking him for food, to the point of annoyance. And then he, be, he ends the story by saying, I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened. Go to Luke 18, look at verse 1. Luke 18, look at verse 1. Let me show you this in another way. Luke 18, and verse 1. Luke 18, 1 says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end. So here's the purpose of the parable. Here's the end of the parable. That men are always to pray and not to faint. So the purpose of the parable is to teach men to pray continually. To always come to God in prayer. So what's the parable? Verse 2, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. That sounds like the judges we have, doesn't it? And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. So in the Bible days, a judge wasn't like the judge we have today. A judge was to judge between matters, but he was also to kind of carry out uh, the, the punishment and enforce that. So a widow comes to a judge. This judge is a bad judge. He feared not God, neither regarded man. There was a widow in that city. She came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. Verse 4. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man. Look at verse 5. Yet because this widow, notice, troubleth me. Do you see that? Because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust saith, and shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear along with him. Here's the point of the story. The widow was troubling the judge. She was coming to him continually. Even though he didn't want to do it, he did it because she bothered him. And the point of the story is this, men ought always pray. The point of 
story is this. When you ask God for a request and the answer seems to be no, or the answer seems to be I'm not getting an answer, it doesn't hurt to ask again and again and again. And, and sometimes God may just be waiting to see how serious you are about it, but we must understand that if the answer is no, we ought to worship God and realize that God is always right anyway. God is always good all the time. Whether I get my way or not. Go back to Matthew 15. Look at verse 26. So a little lesson on, on, a little lesson on prayer there. Now notice Jesus seemingly seems rude to this lady. And it gets worse. Look at verse 26. Remember she, he said, he's, he didn't answer her. The disciples said, she's bothering us. Can you send her away? He said, I am not sent, but into the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She worshipped him and asked again. Verse 26. But he answered and said, it is not meat. The word meat means suitable or proper. He says, it is not suitable. It is not proper. It is not correct. It is not just. It is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. Okay, did you just catch that? Jesus just called her a dog. Now look, in our society, in America, at this time... To call someone a dog, you know, unless you're like some sort of a ghetto rapper, you know, or whatever. If, you know, that's probably not a good thing unless, you, unless that's like what your friends call each other. But in, in Jesus' society, it, 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 was, it, it was to a level of, of just disrespect. It, it, you, you find this throughout the Bible, and I'm not going to take the time to show you all the passages, but let me just show you an example. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Keep your finger there in Matthew 15, but go to 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Remember a, a couple Sundays ago, we preached on the story of David and Goliath? Okay, you might remember this from the story of David and Goliath, 1 Samuel 17. Look at verse 43. See, in America, you know, we, we've kind of, we, we've made much of pets and we make much of dogs and people have dogs. And I have a dog, okay, so, uh, you know, it, it's okay. You know, you, you have dogs, you love your dogs. But in, in, in the Bible days, you know, and in the Bible times, dogs were not seen really as like a, a, a pet, you know. that they, They're just an animal. There's just, you know, they, they served a, a purpose. They had a, a reason. You, you had a dog for a reason. It wasn't like today where people have dogs for companionship. I'm not, a, you know, we have a dog at home. I'm not against you having a dog. But look at 1 Samuel 17. Look at verse 43, okay. Remember this. Remember when David comes to Goliath. Remember Goliath is putting out his challenge. And he's saying, send a guy, send a man out to fight with me. And if we you win, we'll serve you, and if I win, you'll serve us. 1 Samuel 17, 43. Remember, David goes out to fight Goliath, and in verse 43, the Bible says, and the Philistines said unto David, notice what he says, am I a dog? You see that? Because it was known as a phrase of like, it, it, to call someone a dog is like, like you're nothing. You know, I mean, you're not, because think about, think of, don't, don't think about a dog as a pet, okay? Like, you know, my, my favorite dog. Think of a dog as an animal that you used to serve, okay? What would be more valuable? Like a horse? Or a dog. You see what I'm saying? An ox or a dog? You know, a cow or a dog? A dog was seemingly just kind of a useless animal. I mean, you could maybe use it for protection. If you, you had sheep, I guess you could, you know, herd sheep or whatever. But for the most part, a dog wasn't really something that was seen of value for, the, for these people. So when, 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 when Goliath, this great champion, is out there putting out the, the, this challenge to the people, and here comes out David, you know, a uh, fair a young guy, and he's out fine. Goliath says, am I some sort of a dog? He said, am I a dog that thou comest to me with stage? He said, am I a dog? You're going to beat me like a dog with a stick? 
And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Let me give you another example. Go to 1 Samuel 24. And I, I can show you tons of examples, but I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to, but I just want you to see the point. 1 Samuel 24. Remember later in the story of David, after David killed Goliath, remember David becomes a great warrior. He's coming in and out of the city and he's presenting himself in a very honorable way. Remember the women are singing about David and they're saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Remember they said that? And Saul got jealous and Saul begins to persecute David. Remember David spends time out in the wilderness running for his life from Saul and, and do you remember the story where Saul goes in to the cave and David has the opportunity to kill him, he doesn't kill him but he cuts off some of his robe, that's kind of the story we're jumping into, David is now uh, confronting Saul and confronting him with the fact that I could have killed you but I didn't and I want you to see that I, I'm not trying to hurt you and notice how David speaks to King Saul, 1 Samuel 24 and verse 14, David says this, after whom is the king of Israel come out? After whom dost thou pursue? After a dead dog. After a fleece. And you see, David is trying to show his humbleness and his lowliness. And he's saying, he's saying to Saul, he's saying, why are you coming out to, to, to fight, you know, against me? He said, I'm just a dead dog. He said, I'm just a flea. So you got to understand, this is kind of a phrase that was used throughout the Bible. And you'll see it in other stories as you read through it. I just wanted to give you a couple examples. Go back to Matthew 15. But here... Jesus says to the woman, He says, look, it is not me to give of the children's bread to dogs. And He said, he said you're, you're a dog and, and, and I'm, I can't serve you, I can't help you, okay? He, he says to, to do so would be like giving uh, food to dogs. Now notice verse 27, okay? Notice her response, Matthew 15, 27. So she was just uh, insulted. She was just told, you know, you're not worth my help. She was just told, you're not, uh, you know, you're, you're just like an animal that, that I can't really use to get a lot of work out of. Matthew 15, verse 27. And she says, so notice her response, okay? Jesus calls her a dog. And she responds, and she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. So he says, look, you're a dog and I don't have time to deal with you. And she says, that's true, Lord, I am a dog. Just like David humbling herself and saying, I'm just a dog. But you know, she said, but you know, even the dogs eat of the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And she's acknowledging him as the master. Now notice what Jesus says, verse 28. Then Jesus said, then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, notice this, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. He answers her request, and her daughter was made whole from that very hour. You say, well, Pastor, what's the, what's the point? Here's the point. With God, less is more. You say, what are you talking about? Do you remember the Jews, and, and I don't have time to develop this, you've got to study this out on your own, you can read this in the book of Romans. But remember the Jews had been given a great advantage. They were given the covenants, they were given the ordinances, they were given the promises, they were given the blessings. The Lord Jesus Christ came from the, from, from the lineage of the, of the Jews there. And Jesus is continually going through in the Gospels 
and just rebuking their unbelief. He said, you will not believe in me. He said, he said in the day of judgment, you know, the, the men of Sodom will rise up and they'll condemn you because, you know, uh, uh, be, because if, if they had heard what you hear, you know, they would have repented. He said, he said the queen of Sheba is going to rise up against you because they're greater than Solomon. And, and he keeps telling them, you had this opportunity, you have that opportunity. They got to hear the Lord Jesus Christ preach to them. They got to see the miracles. They got to see the, the water turn into wine. They got to see all the things that Jesus did. And they kept rejecting Him and rejecting Him and rejecting Him. Now here's what you got to understand. They had a great advantage and they did nothing with it. And you have this Gentile woman who has no covenant, who has no promises, who has nothing to attach herself to. She's just coming. She's called a dog. And she says, you're right, God, I am a dog and I just get some crumbs. And he says to her, great is thy faith. Do you remember earlier in the book of Matthew, we had the centurion come, who was also a Gentile. And he said, just say the words and my, my, my servant will be healed. And Jesus said, I have not found greater faith. So you've got to understand this. To get the most out of God, you've got to humble yourself. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5. Let me just, let's just run a few verses real quickly and we'll, we'll, we'll move on to the next point. With God, less is more. To get the most out of God, you must bring yourself down to the least possible position. If it requires calling yourself a dog, if it requires saying you are the worst, the, the least, can I just have the crumbs? And that will initiate with God the opportunity to do the most in your life. Are you there in 1 Peter chapter 5? Look at verse 6, 1 Peter chapter 5. You see this concept throughout Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6, the Bible says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. The key word there is humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And when you humble yourself, notice that He may exalt you in due time. See, less is more. When you humble yourself, when you lower yourself, when you bring yourself down, God says, I will exalt you. That's how it works with God. You're there in 1 Peter? Right before 1 Peter, you got the book of James. Go to James chapter 4. Look at verse 10. Right before 1 Peter, you got James chapter 4. Look at verse 10. James chapter 4 and look at verse 10. You see this concept again. James chapter 4 and verse 10. See, a character quality that every Christian must learn, and not just learn it in a sense that I understand it, but learn it in a sense that I live it out in my life, is this idea of humbleness. This idea of lowering yourself. This idea of esteeming other better than yourself. James chapter uh, 4. Did we read verse 10? Look at James chapter 4. Look at verse 10. Humble yourselves. That's the lessening of yourself. In the sight of the Lord. And He shall lift you up. Do you see that? First Peter 5.6 said, 5, said, Humble yourselves that He may exalt you. James 4.10 says, Humble yourself and He shall lift you up. See, less with God is more. Go Look at, look at verse uh, 6. James chapter 4. Look at verse 6. Notice what He does when you don't lower yourself. James chapter 4 and verse 6. But He giveth more grace. Wherefore He saith, notice, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. See, you want God to resist you? Lift yourself up. 
You want God to be against you? Just lift, your, lift yourself up. Make much of yourself. And God says, when you make much of yourself, then I can't do much with that. But when you lower yourself, He says that I will exalt you. Well, he says, when you lower yourself, then I will lift you up. Go back to, to Matthew. Look at Matthew 23. Look at verse 12. we we got to move, move quickly because i got another point to show you. But look at Matthew 23. Look at verse 12. We'll just do it quickly. Matthew 23, verse 12. You'll find this concept again. Matthew chapter 23. We're in Matthew 15, so look at Matthew 23 and verse 12. The Bible says, And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. See, when you put yourself before, and see, you got to understand this. Pride is not yet, is not only going around telling everybody how great I am. Although some, you know, some people need to learn that, you know, telling people how good you are, telling people how good looking you are, telling people how much money you have, that is pride and God will bring you down. But you know what pride is, is when we think we're, my will, here's, here's what pride is, let my will be done, not your will, God. See, when I come before God, that's pride. Is that not what Lucifer did? I shall be as like unto the most high, I will be exalted, and what happened? He got brought down. Matthew 23, look at verse 12. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Go to, uh, go to Matthew chapter 11. Look, just look at this real quickly. Matthew chapter 11, look at verse 11. Matthew chapter 11, look at verse 11. Do you remember this? We dealt with this before. But let me just remind you of it. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 11. Matthew 11, 11 says this. Verily I say unto you, Among them that are born of women there hath not risen a greater... Then John the Baptist. Jesus said that the greatest man who ever walked on this earth, other than, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, was John the Baptist. You say, why was John the greatest? You don't have to turn there. But do you remember in John chapter 3 and verse 30, when John was asked about... Remember, John was kind of the, the famous preacher. All of Judea came out to hear him preach. Then Jesus came on the scene, and he kind of lost his church, and his disciples went to, to, to Jesus. And the Pharisees, they asked John about that. They said, how do you feel about the fact that your disciples are now going to Jesus? And John 3.30, John said this. He said, He must increase, but I must decrease. And when John humbled himself and lowered himself, then Jesus was able to exalt him and say, Hey, you know what? There is none greater than John the Baptist. Now notice Matthew 11 and verse 11. Look at the last part of the, phrase, of the verse. Though. He says, Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So you've got to understand this. With God, less is more. You say, I want to be exalted. You say, I want God to bless me. I want God to help me. I want God to answer my prayers. I want to be able to come to God and say, my daughter is vexed with something. And will you heal her? And I want God to hear me. I want to be exalted before God. Then lower yourself. And humble yourself before God. And He will exalt you. With God, less is more. But number two, with God, more is less. So what are you talking about? Look at Matthew chapter 15. Look at verse 29. We'll try to do this quickly, okay? I got 15 minutes. I got 17 minutes. We can do this in 17 minutes, okay? Matthew 15. Now, in Matthew 15, verses 29 through basically the end of the passage, you have the feeding of the 4,000. Now, this is the second time that Jesus feeds a huge crowd. Some of you may remember uh, a few weeks ago we preached out of Matthew 14. And we're going to look at some verses in Matthew 14. Remember in Matthew 14, Jesus fed the 5,000 men besides women and children. 
now in Matthew 15, Jesus is now doing a similar miracle, but it's a different miracle where he now feeds 4,000 men besides women and children. These are not the same miracle. These are two different times. One time he fed 5,000 men besides women and children. The second time, that's in Matthew 14, we'll look at it in a second. The second time, he feeds 4,000 men, not including uh, uh, women and children. And that is a separate time that he did. Now here's what's interesting. Now, let, let me say this. There is all sorts of applications about the multiplying of the fishes and the bread and all those things. I, I went into that in a lot of detail back when we talked about feeding the 5,000. All of those principles apply to the feeding of the 4,000. So if you'd like to go back and listen to that sermon again on our website, you're welcome to do so. And take all those principles, apply them to this story. They still apply, okay? I'm not going to go and through and re-preach basically the same principles because he's basically doing the same thing. But let me just show you a few differences between the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. Are you there in Matthew 15? Look at verse 21, 29. And Jesus departed from thence and came nigh unto the Sea of Galilee and went up into a mountain and sat down there. And the great multitude came unto him, having with him those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet. And he healed them, insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak and the maimed to behold, and the lame to walk and the blind to see. And they glorified the God of Israel. And Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude. Let me just ask you this. Are you like Jesus Christ where you have compassion on the multitude? Often Jesus is saying in the scriptures, and often it's saying that he's moved with compassion on them. You know, I have, to, I have to ask myself from time to time, am I just going through the motions? Am I just preaching at people? Am I just knocking on doors so I can say that I knocked on the door? Or am I actually caring about people? Am I moved with compassion? Because I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat and I will not send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. And his disciples say unto him, When should we have so much bread in the wilderness as to fill so great a multitude? Verse 34. And Jesus says unto them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven. And a few little fishes. Now, keep your finger there in Matthew 15. Okay, go to Matthew 14, just one chapter before. Look at verse 17. In the feeding of the 5,000... Jesus asks pretty much the same question. What do we have to work with? And they say unto him, Matthew 14, look at verse 17. We're almost done, okay? Matthew 14, look at verse 17. And they say unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. Do you see that? So when he fed 5,000, he had five loaves and two fishes. In Matthew 15, 34, when he fed 4,000, he had seven loaves and a few fishes. Now, few is not, you know, a couple would have been two fishes, so a few is probably three fishes or maybe a little more than that, but let's just say for sake of argument, he has at least three fishes. Now, here's what's interesting. He feeds 5,000 and he has how many? He has five loaves, two fishes. He feeds 4,000 and he has how many? He has seven loaves and at least three fishes. Look at verse 35, Matthew 15, 35. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fishes and gave thanks and broke them and gave to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled and they took up of the broken meat that was left. Notice, seven baskets full. How many baskets were left over after he fed them all? They had seven baskets. How many fish did they start with? Uh, they started with uh, seven fish. So you got one basket left for every fish that you started with. That's pretty good. Go back to Matthew 14. Look at verse 20. When he fed the 5,000 and they did all eat and were filled... 
And they took up with the fragments that remained. Notice, 12 baskets full. They had 12 baskets full in Matthew 14. They had 7 baskets full in Matthew 15. Go back to Matthew 15, look at verse 39. And he sent the multitude away and took ship. Uh, I'm sorry, um, verse 38. And they that did eat were 4,000 men beside women and children. Okay, go back to Matthew 14, look at verse uh, 21. And they that had eaten were about 5,000 men beside women and children. Here's, 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 the, here's the point, okay? In Matthew 14, you have five loaves, two fishes. You feed 5,000 men and you have 12 baskets left over. In Matthew 15, you start off with seven loaves and three fishes. So we have more to work with than we did when we had fed the 5,000. Are you following what I'm saying? And yet, you feed less people, 4,000, as opposed to 5,000. And you have less left over, seven baskets, as opposed to 12 baskets. What's the point? What's the lesson? Why does God give us these stories, one chapter after the other? What is He trying to emphasize? And here's what God's trying to emphasize. With God, more is less. See, when you give Him less to work with, He'll produce more. When you give Him five loaves and two fishes, He'll feed more people than He will if you gave Him seven loaves and three fishes. When you give Him five loaves and two fishes, you'll have twelve baskets left over, and you'll feed five thousand people. When you give Him seven loaves and three fishes, you'll feed four thousand people, and you only have seven baskets left over. And here's what He's trying to say. When you and I bring ourselves to the place where we realize, I am nothing, I am a dead dog, I am humbling myself, I have nothing to offer you, God. I am like five loaves and two fishes trying to feed this great multitude, God. If you multiply me, then you can use me. God says, hey, I'll do a lot with that. But here's what I think. Here's what I think happened, and I'm just. This is just my opinion. This is not a scripture. I think some of those disciples started thinking to themselves, and they said, "Hey, do you remember when we had turned the five thousand? We only had this much. Now we're starting off with more. Maybe we'll have like twenty-four baskets left over." But see, Jesus. Here's what he's trying to teach them. He's trying to teach them: when you give me more, I give you less. Now, here's the point. If you think of it logically, can you really do a lot more? I mean, how much more can you really feed with five loaves as opposed to seven loaves when you're talking about thousands of people? And really, when you think about it logically, by human standards, how much more can God really use me than He used Paul? I mean, either way, we're just humans. Do you understand that? Maybe I'm just five loaves and maybe you've got seven loaves maybe you've got more talent than I do maybe you're smarter than I maybe you've got more money maybe you're better looking maybe you're a better speaker maybe you're smart I, you know, whatever it is by human standards maybe I have five loaves and maybe you have seven maybe, maybe I have three fishes and you only have two by human standards but when it comes to feeding four and five thousand people none of us really cut the job do you understand that? but the matter is your heart how do you see yourself? Because some of us come to God in a state of lowliness and we say, God, I am nothing, I am worth nothing, I deserve to die and go to hell. I am a dead dog, I am a flea. And if you will use me, God, I will give myself whatever way you want to use me. I just want you to exalt and use my life. Some of us come to God that way. Other of us think just a little too highly of ourselves. And you say, what is God going to do with that? Well, here's what He's going to do. When you give Him less, He'll do more. And when you give Him more, He'll do less. So the question is this. What do you want God to do in your life? What do you want accomplished in your life? Because with God, less is more, and more is less.
Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for our church. And Lord, I know it's just a simple Bible study tonight. But Father, I pray you'd help us to be challenged by what we learned. Father, I pray that you would help all of us to humble ourselves. Lord, like that woman to say, I'm just a dog. I don't deserve your time. God, I, I, I don't deserve your time. When I come to you in prayer, you never answered any of my prayers. You've done enough just by saving me. Just by giving me salvation. If you, if you, if you took everything away from me, you, you've already done more than I deserve. Lord, I pray you'd help us to have that attitude. When God, when you don't answer our prayer, I'm going to worship you anyway. I'm just a dog. I'm just going to lower myself and I'm going to allow you to exalt me in any way that you can. Because I understand that in this world, I'm, I, I, I got I to gotta fight for myself and I got to make myself big in order if I want to be big, I got to act big. But we don't play by the same rules in Christianity. When it comes to God, it just seems to work like less is more and more is less. And the, the less I have to offer, the, the more you're willing and able to do. The weaker I am, the stronger you are through me. Father, I, I pray that you would help us to develop a Christianity that's just a weak Christianity. Not, not weak in the sense that we don't know where we stand, but just weak in the realization that if, if I'm going to uh, have a marriage that succeeds, if I'm going to raise children that love and honor you, if I'm going to uh, minister to people, if, if, if I'm going to do anything, if I'm going to run a business, if there's anything I'm going to do, I have to realize that I can only do it through the strength of Jesus Christ. Father, help us. Lord, help us to learn that character trait of being humble. We love you, Lord. In your precious name I pray. Amen.